Pele leaned in and said something to Freddie. Don't let them change you. Keep working on what makes you different and what makes you special. It was great advice, but it caused me some problems. But what could change Freddie do? Soccer is going to explode and it's going to be around this kid. We were the Beatles. Everywhere we went, it was the Freddie show. And with that came the expectation and with that came the pressure. New episodes of American Prodigy drop Tuesdays from Blue Wire Podcasts. Blue Wire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Rebuild slash Big Boo Banter. I am joined today by Nick Filato and Dan Schneier, uh, courtesy of Big Blue Banter on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. They run our Giants podcast over there. Dan is an editor at CBS Sports, and Nick comes to us from Sports Illustrated as well, writer, podcast host over there. Guys, how you doing on this Wednesday night? Henry, we're doing fantastic. Dan, you doing well, my man? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty, pretty, pretty good, Henry. I'm happy to be here. Happy to talk some Giants-Browns. Not so thrilled about the recent injury report the Giants have put out, but we'll get to that shortly. Yeah, absolutely. Browns coming off a, a big Monday night game, so really haven't slept at all this week personally with how much I've been thinking about the Browns and then immediately pretty much had to flip the switch to the Giants because this is a pivotal game really for both teams. For the Browns listeners out there, guys, will you just give a quick summary of why this game is so pivotal from the Giants on their perspective with uh, the NFC standings right now? I think it's pretty simple. The Washington football team now is in the lead of the NFC East. And when you look at all the schedules of the NFC East, it seems like the Giants have the hardest road. They have the Baltimore Ravens after the Cleveland Browns. And I think if the Giants are going to secure this first seed. They're going to need to win this game against the Cleveland Browns because it, I mean, last week was not pretty after the uplifting win against the Seattle Seahawks two weeks ago. And then they kind of laid an egg against the Arizona Cardinals. So for the Giant fans, we, we just need the, the team to kind of come out in prime time and get this W against the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, and, and on, on the Brown side of things, it's also a pivotal, pivotal game because that, that game against the Ravens was great on Monday night, but that loss really was significant for the Browns. They really have no shot at the AFC North crown anymore unless Pittsburgh is going to lose to a Joe Burrowless Cincinnati team this weekend, which seems pretty unlikely. And they actually have a lot of teams kind of chomping at their heels now. The Dolphins are just behind them. The Colts and the Titans are tied with them. And while the Browns own the tiebreak, obviously they've got the Giants here and the, the Steelers in, in week 17 as well. So a lot still to come. They have the Ravens also, you know, who own the tiebreaker with them. So a lot to be decided in the AFC wildcard side of things on the Brown side. And again, the Steelers loom in week 17 as a potential very difficult game for them. If the Steelers still have something to play for with the one seed and all that potentially on the line. So this is a really key opportunity if they're going to kind of keep everybody else at bay, but Guys, let's start with what Dan brought up at the beginning. What is the latest in terms of Giants injuries? Daniel Jones comes back last week. Yeah, two weeks ago, you obviously had our old friend Colt McCoy from the Browns playing. But what's the latest in terms of injuries, Daniel Jones-wise and with the rest of the squad there? It's a little bit up in the air if Daniel Jones is going to play in this game. If I'm a betting man, I think that they're going to probably roll him out there. But in the middle of the week right now, until we get that Thursday injury report, it's still not really 100% certain on what's going to happen. Darnay Holmes is still – he's the rookie slot cornerback from UCLA. He's still up in the air as well. I think he's a pretty pivotal part of the defense. But the Giants have kind of gotten Xavier McKinney back off of IR, and he's been filling that role. He played, I would say, to a solid manner against the Arizona Cardinals, but the Giants have just, they really need a healthy Daniel Jones. And honestly, I'm not hundred percent sure if they'll ever get him back this season to his full health, where he can use his legs and keep defenses honest with his rushing ability. And without that, it's kind of hard to see this offense be maximized because Daniel Jones, he has solid arm talent. He's no Patrick Mahomes or anything like that. But if you do not have his legs, then the defense can really kind of just key on the pass and then really stop the run, which the Giants have had success on in the middle of this season, rushing the football with Wayne Gallman in that offensive line. But last week, it, it didn't really matter because the offense just bogged down because Daniel Jones couldn't really do anything with his legs. And to me, he looked very uncomfortable. Yeah, and Jones actually said that he sustained a new injury 
during the game about he said it was somewhere in the midway mark me and nick actually as we broke down the all 22 tapes saw a couple snaps where it really looked like he wasn't able to plan and just generate the same type of normal or you know go through his normal type of lower body mechanics that he would go through on a throw and it happened a couple times on tape and you could tell he's really ailing out there it might be the new injury it might be the old injury whatever it is I'm not as hopeful as Nick is I guess I would say of him playing I think there's actually a Mm -hmm. decent chance he doesn't suit up this week but I also think that you know there's a there's there's at least the chance that at this point he's going to be a gamer he's been a gamer his entire career he came back at Duke after just three games with a broken clavicle. So um, I believe it was that or a collarbone. So, I mean, this is a gamer type quarterback without a doubt, but like Nick said, I, I it's tough to find hope for this Giants offense without Jones. So I'm hoping that he can get in there because he could at least still push the ball vertically against the Browns defense. And that's something we don't have confidence in McCoy doing. And uh, the injury I want to say is also an ankle injury. So it's a rolled ankle. So it's just another lower body injury that's going to kind of screw with Daniel Jones effectiveness. Absolutely. And, and you guys bring up a bunch of key points there. Not only is the mobility a part of Daniel Jones's game, which I actually got to see firsthand. I actually saw Daniel Jones at Duke play Northwestern and he killed Northwestern with his legs in that game. And you've seen that in the NFL, but also the Browns have struggled with quarterbacks on, on the mobility side of things. Uh, most apparent on Monday night, they couldn't contain Lamar Jackson at all. And of, of course, Daniel Jones isn't that level of athlete, but he has a, a shocking amount of athleticism. I think just based on what people would think of him, you know, as kind of a typical Duke, you know, pocket passer, he actually you know, puts up a lot of solid running stats, uses that mobility also to escape outside the pocket. And the Browns have really struggled with that all season. So his health would be key, but it sounded like you guys still prefer a limited Daniel Jones to Colt McCoy? Or did I kind of hear that correctly? Because he he did, it, it sounded like really struggled against the Cardinals last week without his legs. I would say he definitely really struggled. I mean, if you have to pick one, I would still, I think, go with Daniel Jones. But that lack of mobility, it just, with Jason Garrett's offense, just in general, really just hinders the Giants' ability to win, I think, any type of football game. They would have to rely on a lot of, kind of the defense stepping up and making a lot of plays similar to what they did against Seattle. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm on board with that as well, Henry. I would definitely prefer a limited Daniel Jones over Colt McCoy. I am personally not a big fan of the Giants decision to sign Colt McCoy as the number two quarterback with guys like Jameis Winston signing for $1 million. Um, I think that it goes into a deeper thing. The Giants felt like, you know, McCoy can be this mentor type, even though, you know, guys like Jameis Winston have five years starting or whatever it was in the NFL and can, definitely help mentor and I don't really think Daniel Jones is the type of quarterback who ever really needed mentoring more importantly you need the type of quarterback who can come in and actually contest and make the game a contest and I know the Giants won the game against Seattle they had a lot of luck go their way that game the hot variance was very much so on their side and the defense pitched a perfect game that's a lot to ask against the Browns especially against the Browns offense right now that isn't making too many mistakes it isn't kicking themselves in the foot that much the offensive line is playing really well that wasn't the case for Seattle and they have in my mind one of the best play callers in the NFL right now Kevin Stefanski mm-hmm. so in my mind the only chance the Giants have to win this game is with Daniel Jones yeah, and I can't wait to get into that offense-defense matchup on the other side of the football because I know Patrick Graham's done some pretty great things as well for the Giants on that side of things. So I do want to get to that. But but first, I want to stick a little bit more on, on the offensive side of the football. The Browns on the defensive side haven't really been able to dictate a lot of what the offense is doing. They've got Miles Garrett up front and a couple other playmakers up there, but a lot of injuries to the secondary of this team. The linebackers always a weakness. They lost Joe Schobert to Jacksonville and have had a lot of young guys there. So from an offensive side of the football, what's the Giants identity and what should concern Browns fans going into this game on Sunday if they don't have a whole lot of control about what the Giants are doing? I would say the identity right now would just be to run the football, a lot of power gap type of concepts. I think their most common run play would probably be the counter, which is a downhill type of rushing attack where you pull the backside guard. They also use Caden Smith, who's their second tight end as an H back pulling to give Wayne Gallman two pullers into space. They do really good on those power gap kind of concepts, a lot of duo blocking up front as well. So if I had to name an identity, it would be, to run the football. I think that's what they want to do foundationally and use quick game to get the ball out of Daniel Jones's hands. Now, then it comes to the whole Jason Garrett debate, which is a big thing on Twitter right now. 
going on because Jason Garrett's offense is somewhat unimaginative. There's a lot mm-hmm. of stick routes, a lot of curl routes, a lot of routes that doesn't necessarily maximize yards after catch, I would say. So that's something that definitely needs to be corrected. And Dan and I went, <laughs> we talked for probably about 30 minutes on the podcast, uh, the all 22 podcast that we put out about Jason Garrett's offense. But if you, if, if you had to kind of just name one part of the offense that the Browns fans should be worried about, I would say it's the rushing game and Wayne Gallman, surprisingly enough, who I have a lot of respect for as a running back. He's really slippery, powerful, runs through arm tackles. He's one of those kind of type of runners, but they really need to figure out the passing attack. Yeah, I think I would echo a lot of what Nick said. The Giants are going to come into this game, whether it be with Colt McCoy or Daniel Jones, but especially if it is ultimately with Colt McCoy, they're going to try to run their running game. That means a lot of power and gap. They like to be a downhill gap team. Now, the Cardinals had an excellent game plan to kind of stop that. And even this week, Giants offensive line coach Dave Guglielmo talked about how they specifically stopped that. If the Browns mimic that, I think it's going to be a real problem for the Giants because it's not something Seattle did. And something that's lost on Giants fans, I believe, not Giants fans who listen to our podcast, but some, (laughs) is that a lot of the reason Seattle, the Giants had so much success running the football against Seattle because Seattle's defense is pretty undisciplined in the run game. And now my question for you, Henry, would be, do the Giants at least have the hopes of maybe the Browns having somewhat of an undisciplined defense when it comes to their run fits in the run game? They do, and I would say particularly with the Browns on the defensive line, uh, not only Miles Garrett, but a couple other of the Browns are very quick to to rush the quarterback and, and have been really caught out a lot of times, uh, you know, in, on zone read plays that there, there were examples all over the field on Monday night where they were just up the field way too fast and not, not this one on that side of the ball. And, and the linebackers, I would say discipline isn't so much the issue as it is talent making the plays just one-on-one in space, a lot of mistackling out of the linebacking core this year for the Browns. And that's, what's been the most frustrating part. I think that Browns fans can acknowledge is Mac Wilson, BJ Goodson, and a couple of the, of the other Browns linebackers have just, they've been there. They've been in the right spot and not been able to wrap up. And it was on display again on Monday night. They Mac Wilson was basically met JK Dobbins. I think it was in the hole at the line of scrimmage, missed the tackle and Dobbins runs for a 27 yard touchdown. Uh, and that's kind of been, a lot of the Browns MO a lot this season and that hearing that the the run game is a foundational part of the Giants offense at this point definitely concerns me because I think early in the season, if you just looked at the raw stats for the Browns run defense, you'd be like, Oh, it's pretty good. They were in the top 10 for a while and it, it looked nice. And it was like, Oh, the, you know, at least they can stop the run. And it was like, well, actually it was just because their secondary was so bad early in the year that a lot of people were throwing on them. And if you looked at a little bit more of your pro football focus grades or more advanced analytics, the run defense wasn't that good. And that's been exposed a couple different times against some more physical teams in, in the downhill run game. The the Vegas Raiders come to mind, the Ravens on Monday night. So I, I still think just... The, I, I, my really for me, what gives me hope and, and correct me if I'm wrong here is that the Browns defensive line is, is what gets them off the field and particularly in the passing game, making plays, getting to the quarterback. And from at least everything I've seen, the Giants offensive line has struggled in, in pass blocking all year. Is that not right? I would say it would almost be all year, but there was a three-game stretch that I think you could probably point towards the opponents, which was the Cincinnati Bengals, the Washington football team, who, ironically enough, have a really good defensive line. But I think the game plan definitely kind of helped scheme around the the pass-blocking deficiencies of the New York Giants and the Philadelphia Eagles. The pass-blocking in those three games was – it was really good. And then you kind of go to this Arizona game, you see exactly what happens, and it just – wasn't effective whatsoever because of double stunts that Vance Joseph was dialing up with that defensive front. They were running stunts on both sides and both sides of the offensive line, the right and the left really struggled transitioning off the stunts and even recognizing and identifying them. And it kind of just posed a lot of problems for the protection. And even against Seattle during that time stretch, the giants offensive line blocked really well. Andrew Thomas by that point, I think put four games of tape consecutively where he was playing really good football and only gave up a couple pressures during that. But as you probably know, Henry, before that, he led the league in pressures. And now after this Arizona game, he also leads the league 
in pressures. So he's kind of just had, I guess you could say, an up and down type of year. There's been more consistency recently, but last game was a step back. And I would add this, Henry. I think if you're looking for a game as Browns fans where you're going to get six, seven, eight sacks, I'm not necessarily sure this will be that one unless the Browns do get up to a multiple score lead and the Giants are in position where they have to throw most of the downs because I think the game plan will be very, very similar to what, especially if Colt McCoy is in the game is where I think it's going to end up going. Or even if Daniel Jones is in the game and playing at less than 100%. It's going to be a lot of quick game stuff. That's going to be designed. I do not expect Jason Garrett to reinvent the wheel in week 15. I think what you see is what you get from him. I think it's going to be a lot of the same. It has been a lot of the same with that with him throughout the season. He has not been a coordinator who's tried to mimic things that other offenses have done well and steal it like a lot of coordinators do that I think they do well. He's not someone who's had different game plans really week to week. I mean, he's somewhat varied his game plans, but most of it has been based around the running game and the quick passing game. And I think from that regard, it's going to be hard for the Browns to get sacks. Now, if the Browns do look at the tape from Arizona, and I can ask you this, Henry, do the Browns run a lot of game on the defensive line? Do they run a lot of stunts? Because that's what's really given the Giants a problem. If they don't run a lot of stunts, I have some faith the Giants can hold up. If they do run a lot of stunts, I'm worried. It's been a little that, – that's a good question, but a difficult answer in some respects. I think in uh, early in the season, this team was not very varied in its scheme on the defensive line. Uh, I would say no. It, now, I would say more recently, the last couple weeks, they they have run more of that in, in Joe Woods' scheme. First-year defensive coordinator for the Browns. A lot of stuff early on in the season was, was uh, shall we say, not imaginative on the defensive side of the football. And I think that was a little bit frustrating. But in general, still, I would say no. I would say they're still on the lower side of things. So I think that's one of those things where if you're the Giants, you can breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief. I don't think you're going to see what you saw to the Arizona Cardinals probably on Sunday, assuming the Cardinals run um, something more in the top half of the league. I can't say I know their their scheme as well as I know the Browns, but uh, I'd say the Browns rely a lot more on just man on man beating them at the at the point of attack with Miles Garrett. And my hunch is in this game that that's going to be the philosophy as well. Not a lot of stunts. They're going to line Miles Garrett up you know, kind of, and, and hope he gets, gets home in his kind of one-on-one matchup. They're not going to get uh, as creative with it. Hey, Henry, what's the importance of getting Denzel Ward back? It seems like, I think he practiced today. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be huge for this defense? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So Denzel Ward is massive. He's missed the last couple of weeks with a strained calf for the Browns and he is their one playmaker in the secondary. And like you talked about, uh, somebody who can actually play some press coverage, get into these receivers and disrupt that quick game for the Giants. I think the Browns uh, really have been playing backups basically across the board in in their secondary. I'm sure for Giants fans out there, you guys probably aren't as familiar, but Grant Delpit, uh, rookie safety out of LSU, went down with an Achilles injury in training camp. Andrew Sandejo has filled in his place for the Browns in the safety position and has been a punching bag for opposing offensive coordinators and for Browns fans alike, because he has had some, some pretty dismal plays uh, and some that haven't been taken advantage of the last couple of weeks, but he's, he's struggled on that side of the ball. They're at a back, their other safety position, Ronnie Harrison went down with a separated shoulder. He won't be playing in this game as well. So both safety positions were at backups and both corner positions uh, backups as well uh, against the Ravens on Monday night. So getting a starter back in at, like Denzel Ward is huge for this team because they really, the secondary has been an issue and it's been an issue with Ward, but at least he's someone they can somewhat rely on for consistent production because outside of him, it's been ugly, to be honest with you. It's probably unfortunate for us Giants fans and people Mm -hmm. to follow the Giants because press man destroyed the Giants against Arizona. How many times, Dan, we see Patrick Peterson and Dre Kirkpatrick, what is it, like 10 years ago, Dre Kirkpatrick just pressing Darius Slayton at the line of scrimmage and Slayton just struggled to get off of it, which is kind of something that I didn't see a lot in his rookie season. And it really wasn't only Slayton. There were multiple reps where Tate just could not get off the press. Mm. Um, And so – it's it's a widespread problem right now for the Giants. It's also a schematic issue for the Giants. They can use different things to beat press, such as pre-stat motion and bunch formations like Nick talked about on our last podcast to get more free releases, something Garrett did none of and adjusted in – not none. When I say none, he did it very sparingly, and the adjustments weren't there. There's major question marks for me right now, now Henry, as I'm sure you've been able to tell <laughs> when it comes to Jason Garrett as the Giants' yeah. offensive coordinator. 
And I, uh, a follow-up to that is something the Browns have really struggled with is play action on the defensive side of the football. Uh, combination of play action and then also uh, stuff, uh, I would say plays out of the backfield of running backs in particular. How much play action is involved in the, uh, in, in the Giants scheme offensively? I got great news for you, Henry. We don't really use play action for whatever reason. And guess what? We don't we don't have any real design running back screens. We don't have a screen. I, I had game. a feeling we didn't that even was call one answer. screen last game. They were playing a four-four against the Giants, and they're putting everybody at the line of scrimmage, and there were no screen calls in that game. And there really is next to no passing game to the running back. They had one option route at the backfield to Wayne Gallman that went for 10 yards it was a pretty solid play, but I wouldn't worry about that. And I know it's a great way to beat the Browns because the Browns, after losing Schobert, they're not as sound as they were at that linebacker position. They really retooled that position. They have, you know, former Giants cast off BJ Goodson there. I heard he's playing 90 plus percent of the snaps. Yes, he is. Not exactly what an ideal situation when you have Goodson in for 90 percent of the snaps. So it it would be nice to see the Giants adjust to this. I don't want to say it's impossible. Garrett has been in this league for a long time. He's been a head coach. He's been an offensive coordinator. Now he's back as an offensive coordinator. I would hope that he can adjust to this and come out with a game plan specific to beat the Browns. And that would be one excellent way to do it, but I'm not confident that that will happen. Does Joe, is Joe Woods known for bringing a blitz and pressure like that? Because if he is, I can see Jason Garrett scheming that, that little boundary side screen to Wayne Goldman that he tried to run a couple games ago, but it was batted down at the line of scrimmage. Does Joe Woods bring a lot of uh, five man pressure packages? No. Uh, so that's the, the Browns tend to rely uh, on the front four there. Uh, they do not blitz a ton uh, at all. Uh, I, I should double check my facts on that. But as of wow, two weeks ago, I think was the last time I looked it up. Uh, they were one of the lower blitz percentage teams in the league. Uh, overall, Joe Woods, not, not a big pressure guy. And part of that's also like, we just talked about the, uh, the issues with this team. They're playing a lot of, uh, a lot of zone coverage on the back end, trying to protect their secondary and dropping a lot of people into coverage uh, with, with the front four, you know, kind of the idea is they, they're the ones that are going to be able to get home all on their own. Yeah. When you have miles Garrett, it's probably really nice. <laughs> and, and that's really, and we, I've said that a lot on, uh, on the Browns, you know, on, on the rebuild this season is sometimes it almost feels like the defensive strategy is we're going to hope miles Garrett makes a play that gets us off the field. Uh, and, and not that that's necessarily Joe Woods' fault. As I said, he's been dealt a little bit of a tough hand with the personnel to begin with and then the injuries. But uh, I would kind of expect the same thing in this game because I think, you know, from my perspective, it's I would favor Miles Garrett pretty heavily against the Giants offensive line and pretty much any matchup he's going to find himself in. And he's just he's been destructive all season against even some of the best tackles in the league. So. I have a feeling he could be back to his old ways. He was kept a little bit quiet on Monday night against the Ravens, which was a little it's gonna disappointing. going to be a lot of slide protection, Henry, towards Miles Garrett. <laughs> it's going to set up a lot of one-on-ones for Olivier Vernon, though. And that's you're going to be against Cam Fleming, Matt Parrott, or Andrew Thomas. So, I mean, Olivier Vernon could be in for a pretty nice revenge game. Yeah, and he's looked really good for the Browns the last couple of weeks. He's had a, you know – until uh, four weeks ago, I would say he has been a, a little bit of a disappointment, but then I, I can't say that at all anymore. He's been on fire the last, the last several weeks. He is, even when Miles Garrett was out with COVID, he stepped up in a huge way, but also several in several other games when Garrett's been back and drawing some attention, Vernon's also taken major advantage of that uh, as well. He's had a couple multi-sack games this season and has been a destructive force that I didn't see at all really from him last season. Yeah, Vernon, the book on him seems to be if he can stay healthy, he can make an impact, though. It is interesting to hear that wasn't the case last season. Yeah, and and part of that, too, you know, it could have been he had some injuries and things of that nature as well last season. But uh, I, th- I thought last season was a little bit of a disappointment from him this season. I, as I said, he has been argu- arguably the Browns second best player on the defensive side of the football. If you factor in Denzel Ward missing time, uh, it's right. pretty clear Garrett's number one. But outside of that. I think you'd have to say Vernon's number two so far with the Browns. What about Sheldon Richardson? Richardson also a little bit up and down, but I, I would, he's, he's been a, a nice piece for them. I actually think Larry Ogunjobi is a little bit underrated. His count, counterpart in the d- other defensive tackle spot. Ogunjobi is really difficult in the run game. Uh, and I think he can, uh, he does a lot of good things uh, on the defensive side of the football that I, I like as a Browns fan, but Richardson's had some solid games as well. He's gotten some pressure on the quarterback. I think he's not 
quite his discipline uh, in a couple different areas of his game. Uh, so I actually think he's probably, and this is not uh, an insult to him, more so a praise of the rest of the defensive line, but he's probably actually fourth uh, of those four that I would single out in terms of who you should be worried about. That's interesting. Yeah, for sure. That's, and, and that's just how I, I see it, but I, I, I really am a big fan of Larry Ogunjobi. I think he's one of the more underrated defensive players in the league right now. When I went down to the Senior Bowl, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Ogunjobi was down there that year in 2017. And he, because he, he came from a small school, I think it was Charlotte, and he mm-hmm. did really well. And I remember like a lot of scouts talking about how effective he was. And then he ended up getting drafted in the third round. So it's good to hear that he's still effective a couple of years into his career. Absolutely. Yeah. Guys, I also, we, you know, we, we talked about one side of the football. I think the other side of the football is where it could be a really, really interesting chess match. So I'm very excited to talk about that. But first, let's just take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. This episode of The Rebuild is brought to you by Bet Online. Well, I couldn't be at the game last night. You can still get in on the action at, at Bet Online, and it was a wild covered by the Ravens there with the Browns lateral at the end of the game. I know that cost a lot of Browns fans out there money who had action on the Browns. But, hey, BetOnline is going to go the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, coach, and player props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. I made a bunch of different wagers this week on BetOnline, like the Bills, scoring against the Steelers. I bet specifically on how many points the Bills were going to score. Hit on that over. I did not hit on a a Cole Beasley prop for receiving yards, but you can do all that and more at BetOnline. And you can wager in all 50 states, which is key if you're traveling around the holidays this year. You can wager from anywhere on BetOnline. So make sure you go there today and take full advantage of all their great sign-up bonuses. Just don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE when you do so. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. This episode of The Rebuild is also brought to you by Indeed. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient right now, which means every hire is critical, and Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site, according to Comscore. And unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. So you only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now... Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria so that you can contact them the moment your job appears, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now, Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. All right, and we're back here on a crossover edition of the Rebuild in Big Blue Banter. And guys, I want to talk about the Browns offense versus the Giants defense, because as Dan pointed out, I, uh, Kevin Stefanski has been, I, I think, fantastic for the Browns this season. I think he has been one of the best play callers in the game. And it's been nice that the last couple of weeks that's gotten a little bit more attention with his performance against the Titans uh, there. And then with the Ravens on Monday night, because I think a couple bad weather games that the Browns played kind of took the shine off this offense. Uh, and I think Kevin Stefanski's done a great job this season, but I also know just from following you guys on Twitter and seeing the commentary out there that, that the giants are pretty happy with their defensive side of the football as well. Absolutely. Patrick Graham, he's been the unsung hero of this sub 500 team right now, but the unit <laughs> plays incredibly hard for him. And there, you could just see so many adjustments from Patrick Graham's defense and kind of what he's gotten out of, 
this defensive unit, players like Logan Ryan have played incredibly well, which is no surprise because he's somebody with a championship pedigree. James Bradbury is playing at an elite level. Blake Martinez is playing at an elite level, and that defensive line is playing really well. And I'm not trying to take anything away from the players, but the scheme that Patrick Graham is utilizing really assists these guys from maximizing their potential. Yeah, and I won't even stop short in saying that I am taking a little bit away from the players that <laughs> Dave Gettleman, Giants general manager, put on the field. And I'm going to give a lot of the credit to the coaching staff. We just had OC Humanure on our podcast, little name drop there. But in all seriousness, OC talked to us about how important coaching is and how much of an impact it can make. And I think that when you watch as much film on the Giants as we do, we can totally see that. He's had to mix and match in the secondary. He's had to mix and match at linebacker. And really all Dave has given him is a great middle linebacker and who's played better because of Patrick Graham. He traded for Jewel Peppers, who's played better because of Patrick Graham. He signed James Bradbury, who was a pretty strong player for Carolina and in Patrick Graham's system has now become arguably the best, if not one of the best corners in the NFL. And with the exception of all of that, he's given him a strong defense, interior defensive line. So the, the, the cook in the kitchen here is Patrick Graham. And it really has been fantastic to watch what he's been able to do with really a, a mosh posh of talent that is mostly late round picks and some cast offs from other teams. Yeah, I I know James Bradbury. There there's been talk about him as the most underrated corner, if not defensive player, in the NFL this season. There's there's been all sorts of highlights of his play so far. So I've certainly seen that. But in this particular matchup, I think a lot of what the Browns do starts starts with the running game. Starts with the wide zone that Kevin Stefanski likes to run. Everybody's talked about it, you know, all year. Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, the two-headed monster there, and and then utilizing play action off of that. So you see that uh, on the Browns' run side of things. How do you think the Giants will stack up defensively? Because that's really the Browns' bread and butter for their offense to get going. I think the Giants will probably – they're probably going to come out with three down defensive linemen. They're going to put two linebackers on the line of scrimmage, and they're going to probably drop a safety down in the box, show one high middle of the field, close look. They're going to rotate a lot of their safeties on third down to try to get Baker Mayfield to throw into trap coverage. But in terms of trying to stop that, that rushing attack, that's going to be priority number one. And it's going mm-hmm. to be putting numbers in the box and trusting these linebackers to read their keys, flow, scrape over the top of the defensive linemen and fill these gaps while also playing disciplined. I think that's going to be a really key part of this. I watched the game against Jacksonville with the Cleveland Browns, and there Mm -hmm. were a couple plays where those edge (laughs) defenders and those force defenders were not disciplined, and they bit down, and Nick Chubb really made them pay. I think it's going to be taught by Patrick Graham and just instilled in these defenders to make sure that they do not over-pursue and they stay disciplined to not allow Nick Chubb to hit any cutback lanes or Kareem Hunt. Yeah, and I think if Giants fans listening to this podcast or if Browns fans want to do some digging – a game plan I think that could be similar the Giants have used earlier this season was their game plan against the Saint, or I'm sorry, the Los Angeles Rams. I think you'll see a very similar defensive game plan from the Giants. And I think the goal, like Nick said, will be to stop the run. For me, I, you know, watching Nick Chubb, he's one of my favorite players in the entire NFL to watch. And I get it. I like Kareem Hunt as well. I think he's a very explosive player and he has really good contact balance and he's good at creating yards after contact. And that's something very similar to what Saquon Barkley can do. But what Chubb does is a bit different. I believe he from the he plays the running back position better than almost any running back, if not any running back in the NFL. It's the small nuances that some people might miss of the running back position, the small the cuts he makes, the reads he makes, his vision. And I think he's going to give the Giants issues. They haven't faced a running back like him all season long. So even if they are prepared from a schematic standpoint, I think Chubb can still burn them. It's it's the cutbacks for me that get that really bring a smile to my face. That Nick Chubb cutback when when like Nick said that the defense is undisciplined and all of a sudden he 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 hits that cutback and is just gone and and turns a run that you didn't see going anywhere into a big game. That's that was featured heavily in the Jacksonville game, but really all season for Chubb. He's just his vision to me is on a level that I really haven't seen before out of a lot of running backs. Certainly the ones in Browns uniforms, you know the. Peyton Hillis's of the world weren't exactly known for that kind of thing. So it's really been a treat for Browns fans this season. And then kind of on top of that play action, right? That's, you know, it's been talked about over and over again this season, Baker Mayfield's numbers on play action are phenomenal. It's really where he thrives is using the threat of that run game to, to go back, you know, over the top. They love to, you know, 
bootlegs. They love bootlegs out of that, especially to Baker Mayfield's left side, which is particularly unusual. So they love to use play action, and then they love to get Baker on the move out of the pocket. How have the Giants been against play action so far this season? They've been pretty disciplined, I would say. They, they really have not been a defense that has given up a lot of really big plays, but there have been times where Tay Crowder or David Mayo, Dave, Tay Crowder was Mr. Irrelevant this year. He was the last pick in the draft kid out of Georgia. He's a good, promising young linebacker, but if he gets sucked up too close to the line of scrimmage, there, there are voids behind him in between the safety that can be exploited with a good play action game, especially if Cleveland's able to establish the run, which we suspect they may be able to do at at least a solid rate. So I think... Cleveland's probably going to have some opportunity in the intermediate parts of the field to get behind those linebackers. I think Blake Martinez has been pretty good in this area. He's kind of gets knocked as somebody who struggles in coverage. I don't really necessarily see that at least not consistently enough to declare, declare that he's bad in coverage. And I also think the flat is somewhere that can be exploited by the New York giants. They run a lot of cover three where those deep third defenders drop deep on the clear out routes and number one receivers. And then you have edge defenders like Carter Coughlin, who's a really good athlete, but if he's held in place to guard the run, it's going to take him a while to kind of get out to the flat. I think if you guys do run some play action and then kind of hit receivers leaking out tight ends, blocking down and then leaking out into the flat, you guys could probably make some money that way. And I would suspect that that's coming only because especially without Odo Beckham, but frankly, it existed before Odo Beckham was hurt, is Baker Mayfield loves his tight ends. And Kevin Stefanski loves his tight ends, which is why they're such a great marriage. The Browns run a ton of 12 personnel, a ton of 13 personnel when all their tight ends are healthy, uh, where they're, you know, Hooper, Bryant, Njoku. You'll see all three of those guys catching passes for the Browns, uh, especially off of play action. They love to use them in especially with, you know, they've got Jarvis Landry. And then, you know, the second option has been Rashard Higgins at times in the receiving core. It's been Kaderil Hodge. Uh, and so with that kind of weaponry without Odell, it's been, it's been a heavy, heavy dose of, of tight ends in the play action game. You can also expect some sort of trap coverage to bait Baker Mayfield to throw to the mm -hmm. middle of the field. If Jarvis Landry, who I presume lines up in the slot a lot for you guys, yep. he runs a lot of these, these little quick digs, these quick slants and posts. Logan Ryan is a player to watch to try to bait Baker Mayfield to kind of throw into like a slice type of coverage where he kind of comes down, the nickel plays off and outside, kind of giving the illusion that Jarvis Landry has inside leverage on whoever that nickel defender is. And then there's going to be Logan Ryan kind of coming down hard from wherever he was pre-snap to intercept that football. So that's definitely something to pay attention to. And that will be fascinating because Baker has definitely been susceptible to that at times in his career, uh, but played has played pretty clean turnover free football uh, for the most part, the last you know five or six weeks, he threw his first interception in five weeks on Monday night. And Although that was a linebacker dropping back in coverage, I actually think Baker saw him and they pointed it out on the broadcast on Monday night. It looked like he just thought LL force it in anyway, essentially with the pass and it didn't work. But earlier in his career, oh my goodness, that was a, a big issue. And so it even at the beginning of this season. So I think this will be a good test. Part of what will be so interesting about this game for me is Baker's played really well but against what I would consider a lot weaker competition on the defensive side of the football. The Tennessee game was fantastic, yes, but Baker was playing against air for some of those throws. I mean, with the schemes that were being run from Stefanski's side and with the lack of pressure that the Titans were forcing on him, it was a lot of pitch and catch, a lot of easy stuff. And the Ravens, for having the reputation as a great defense, and they, they certainly have playmakers there, they were banged up in the secondary and Baker took a huge advantage of that of Devonte Harris and, you know, some of the second and third corners that the Ravens were forced to put out there. So I don't think that's going to happen in this game uh, with the, the defensive talent in, in the secondary with, with the giants. I think this is going to be a test of, of Baker Mayfield's decision-making. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I think it'll be interesting to see the matchup. I think the giants have, at times this season struggle when they haven't been able to get pressure with their front four. And at this stage of the game, that really does rely most of the time on one man, Leonard Williams to be driving those pressures and they run games up there. They have stunts, they have, you know, nickel blitzes that sometimes generate pressure. And those have been working very well for the giants this season. But at times, like we saw, 
they look a lot different when they get to face off against the Seattle offensive line against then even someone like Arizona, who's been more middle of the pack. And now they have a matchup against the Browns offensive line that featured Jedrick Wills, Joel Batonio, JC Treader, Wyatt Teller, and Jack Conklin. This might be in my mind, a top five. I don't This could be one of the best offensive lines performance wise in the NFL. This could season. be the best. It be could honest. be the I, best I, offensive I, line. Yeah, I would, I would make that argument just because I don't think, well, at least in pass protection, I, I know Jed Wills has had his critics in terms of run blocking. You see the, the Browns don't always run behind him, especially with Wyatt Teller and Jack Conklin on the other side of the football. But from a pass pro side of things, Baker Mayfield's had a lot of time. He holds the ball longer than any QB in the NFL. And yes, some of that is because they move him out on the bootlegs like we talked about. They love to do that and get him out of the pocket. But also... He often has a lot of time to stand back there with the Browns offensive line. They, they do a great job of keeping his pocket clean. Yeah. Most of the giant sacks this season season have been coverage sacks. So it'll be interesting to see that mix. And I wanted to get your opinion while we're on that topic of Jedrick Wills, because this is a player who the big blue banter podcast wanted unanimously wanted the giants to take at number four. I was a little more open to taking a big swing on someone like Becton just because I saw the upside there, but Ultimately, when it was all said and done, me and Nick, when we wrote it down, with the exception of Isaiah Simmons for me, who I was intrigued by, if I was going to go one of the tackles, and I know Nick was for sure on this, but I also came around, it was Jedrick Wills. He seemed like the smoothest on tape. He seemed like the surest bet. And the Giants fans have come around to Andrew Thomas. I think that he's had seven really bad games to start the season, four really good ones, and then a pretty bad game, but it was a tough game plan against a team that really took advantage of what Jason Garrett was trying to do, in my opinion. So with that said, how would you kind of compare Jedrick Wills's rookie season? Is it similar in the sense, more bad games than not, or has it really been a lot of good games and great performances from Wills this season? It's almost two games within a game, a little bit in that sense. So I would say more good games than bad, but there's really, there just is a massive split between his pass blocking and his run blocking. And so right. that's kind of the challenge is he is a polished pass blocker. And I, you know, as, as far as expectations you could have for a rookie left tackle, at least for me, for him coming in, he's been absolutely everything I could have asked for given the performances of the Browns tackles last season, where I think Greg Robinson was the lowest rated or second lowest rated tackle in the league last year to have a left tackle come in and shore up the pass blocking on that side to make Baker Mayfield a lot more comfortable in his pocket has been huge. Now, I think Jed Wills has struggled in the run game on several different occasions, and, and it's been difficult for the Browns in, the, in, in that sense. I think against the Vegas Raiders, he really struggled. I thought against the Steelers, he struggled a little bit. So those games you know, really stood out where he was struggling in the run game. And like we just talked about, if the Browns can't establish the run game, they struggle a lot more on the offensive side of the football. And it's tough when, you know, if you feel like you can't go over the left side at all without him getting run over. Uh, but I'd say for the most part, more good games than bad games out of Jed Wills. And I've been, I've been pleased with his performance so far this season. Now he's, he's certainly not the best offensive lineman on the team. Why Teller has been phenomenal this season. JC Treader has been great. So he, he does have the, a nice supporting cast as well to help them out. But uh, I I'm, I'm really pleased with the pick and based on giants fans, early reactions to Andrew Thomas, it made it seem like it was the right pick for the Browns. Who I know we're also thinking of uh, drafting him before he went to the, to the giants earlier on. Yeah. Andrew Thomas, it, like, like I said before, it's been definitely an up and down. It's been more up recently, but against miles Garrett, I got to say, I have my concerns. There were a couple reps in the game against Arizona where Marcus Golden was basically just faking like he was going inside and the guy was like shell-shocked because they ran so many stunts against him that he bit inside, just gave up the outside and Marcus Golden made him pay. So it was almost like Marcus Golden, who obviously was a teammate of Andrew Thomas with the Giants earlier in the season, was somewhat just toying with the offensive line at that point. But that was also just an entire breakdown of the offensive line unit, in my opinion, and not just solely on Andrew Thomas because they were all playing bad. Kevin Zeitler, who you know very well, has been the best offensive lineman for the Giants this season. He had his worst game by far this past game against Arizona. 
Yeah, and if you just look, I just quickly pulled up the PFF splits. Not that that's the be-all, end-all for, for Jed Wills, but yeah, he's 79.6 as a pass blocker rating for the season and 50 in the run blocking game. And something else to kind of point out with him, he does have a little bit of a tendency to commit penalties. Uh, he's got 10 penalties so far this season, both holding-wise and actually false start-wise. So something that that you guys will have to look out for, and I'm sure the Giants will point this out in, in the scouting report, Baker Mayfield uses a hard count a lot, way, way more than he has in previous seasons, almost more so than any quarterback I can think of. And it's become a very effective tool. However, Jed Wills is the one Brown that seems to fall for it himself every once in a while. Uh, it's, that's so weird too. Cause you know, Jedrick Wills and Baker Mayfield have so much chemistry from doing those commercials together. <laughs> yeah, you would think, you would think. But uh, yeah, Baker, and he actually, I think he got Harrison Bryant, uh, a fellow Brown with it uh, against the Ravens the other night. But he he uh, probably has drawn the offense or the defense, excuse me, uh, offsides two or three times in every game, it feels like for the last six weeks. So that is something the Giants will definitely have to be aware of. Baker Mayfield loves loves to use the hard count but i am not looking forward to that hey i got a question <laughs> for you henry actually yeah. about uh david and joku since the giants were mm -hmm. considered drafting him back in 2017 i saw that he actually still plays a lot of snaps but he's not really used that often as a receiver outside of this past game on monday night well what's the mm -hmm. what's the story with that yeah he's he struggled hanging on to the football really is the he's a phenomenal athlete he gets open in coverage a lot and he has had some issues reeling the, the passes in and there was even a play on monday night where where baker mayfield threw a pass that wasn't wasn't perfect by any means but was one where it was supposed to be to njoku climbing the ladder and he got up there got his hands on the football and, and couldn't bring it down so he's been a little bit replaced this season you know he demanded a trade in the offseason in part because the browns signed austin hooper to a pretty lucrative contract and they also drafted harrison bryant who won the award for being the best college tight end last year so njoku does still get a lot of playing time because Number one, there's been injuries to the tight ends, uh, but also because Kevin Stefanski, as I said, loves to use 12 personnel, loves to use 13 personnel. He's just, he's not that, he's not high on, in terms of the options uh, if, without reliable hands. Baker Mayfield is pretty accurate, but tends to, to fit some balls in some tight windows. And that's just not Njoku's game. And he's also, he, he's struggled to stay on the field himself in some of his first couple of seasons. So he's still super young. He came into the league super young, but uh Frankly, I think the Browns, this new regime that came in front office-wise, decided that uh, they, were, they wanted to make priorities at the tight end position that weren't David and Joker. Now, that makes a lot of sense, I guess. When, when you sign Austin Hooper, I, that was the record-setting deal. I think another tight end already uh, topped that, maybe Travis mm -hmm. Kelsey uh, when he resigned. Kelsey and Kittle, I think, both George got Kittle more money, it. but uh, he was, for, I think, $44 million for Hooper was the, uh, the, the number that came in there. Uh, and, and I think Kelsey and Kittle, yeah, eventually broke that with their kind of extensions with the team, with their various teams. But uh, yeah, at the time, definitely a, a record-setting deal there. I hear those guys are pretty good, Kelsey and Kittle. Yeah, Austin Hooper not, hasn't been quite those guys. But as I said, Baker Mayfield is dependent on his tight ends. Kevin Stefanski is dependent on his tight ends. So those investments uh, in, in Bryant and Hooper, I think at the time people were scratching their head a little bit. They were like, oh, we already have Njoku. He's supposed to be our tight end here. What are we doing paying that much money for Hooper and, and spending a draft pick on Bryant? But uh, it's paid off. It's paid off for the Browns. Yeah, I actually had a question for you, Henry, as mm -hmm. long as we're on the topic of these skilled players about Donovan Peoples-Jones, because he was a prospect mm -hmm. yeah. who both Nick, Nick, Nick and I watched on tape. And especially for me as a Big Ten guy who's seen a lot of Big Ten football, I kind of always had the feeling that he had a really good skill set to translate to the NFL and just was underutilized and mm -hmm. really was a product of really pathetic quarterback play at the Michigan University and I love to say that as you guys can tell as a Wisconsin Badger fan I love to talk smack about that Michigan football team but as he enters the NFL he came in with an unbelievably explosive posting at the combine you knew the athleticism was off the charts and then you see just like on Monday Night Football and this wasn't the first time this season he's made really big plays for the Browns this season and he's a player who I actually feel the Giants should have taken a chance on and there's multiple receivers Gabriel Davis is one of them we talked a bunch about them this was a loaded wide receiver class so my question for you is is the excitement around Peoples Jones 
you know, growing within the organization? Do you feel like he could be someone who steps up as the Browns ultimately? And, and we'll get to this in a moment, too, because I have a question on it. But I think the Browns will ultimately move on from Odell Beckham Jr. And do you think that Peoples-Jones kind of step up in his place? Well, I can tell you as an Ohio, uh, somebody who grew up in Ohio State country and somebody who then went to Northwestern and is now a diehard Northwestern Wildcats fan, I also don't have any problems uh, talking badly about Michigan. However, <laughs> Peoples-Jones, to me, has been one of the pleasant surprises. I wasn't as high on him coming out of the draft, but his hands have been pretty solid. I think he's made some decent contested catches. Uh, he has had some drops at other times, but the athleticism is there. The NFL athleticism is there. He separated really well at times. Uh, he's been he's been up and down, to be honest. But I think the last couple weeks uh, with Odell out, he started to step up uh, in a way that's really promising to Browns fans. I would say really the last two games against Tennessee and Baltimore, he's played really well, which has been encouraging because I think early on he was struggling. And, and so I, I – I think the jury's still out. I'll say that. I think the jury is still out on him, but he has shown flashes of an NFL receiver that I didn't think he was going to. So perhaps, you know, my evaluation of him, I think was wrong uh, because I, I like some of the things I've seen out of him and he's a rookie. So I think there's definitely opportunity for him to kind of put more good games on tape here toward the end of the season. But at first when, when Odell went down, obviously Jarvis Landry was going to be the number one guy, but people's Jones seemed to kind of, not step up the way people thought it was more Daryl Hodge and, and Rashard Higgins where people's Jones has kind of pushed his way in right into that conversation as, as sometimes the Browns number two receiver. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think I'm mostly interested to hear your opinion in general on the Odo Beckham jr. Situation. Cause that is really the way that these two franchises are most intertwined. And it's a trade yep. that giants fans were really against at the time of it. I actually was a fan of it right away and have grown to be an even bigger fan of the trade. My reasoning was I thought that was the most the Giants were going to get from. Obviously, if they had traded him a season earlier, they could have gotten more, but John Mayer wanted to give him another chance, and then he went and did the things that he did. But I thought that was a sinking ship, and the trade value was only going to go down now mm -hmm. as he you know, has unfortunately suffered more injuries. And it. I, my two questions for you are this. One, is it possible – that Baker Mayfield is a better quarterback without having to have Bodo Beckham on the field. And that idea that you need to kind of drive the ball there and you need to put the ball in his direction. And two, is it likely at this point that the Browns will move on from Beckham this off season? I'll start with the first question. I don't think Baker Mayfield's better without Odell Beckham. Uh, and that's just, be, uh, he's such a force in terms of his explosive playmaking, his ability to separate, his ability to run after the catch. And the biggest thing is for me was Odell's hands were a huge help when, when Baker Mayfield was struggling with accuracy out of the pocket. Mm -hmm. uh, he made a lot of catches that were balls that came from Baker Mayfield that I didn't think deserved to be caught. And of course, Giants fans know that better than anybody else. So look, do I think the chemistry was ever great between them? No, I, I don't think it was. And I think part of that's just naturally Baker Mayfield prefers his tight ends. He just does. Those are the, he loves to work off play action and get those guys in the middle of the field. He never really was comfortable with uh, Odell's skill set. But I think the Browns miss Odell a lot right now with no clear number two receiver next to, to Jarvis Landry. They've only gone more in the direction of the tight ends with the 12 and 13 personnel. They've only leaned into that even more as part of their identity. Now, as far as the second question goes, it, it pains me to say it, but yes, I think the Browns will move off Odell Beckham this season. After yeah, this it's season, really interesting because I'm not trying to take a knock on former Browns general manager here, but if they do end up moving on from Odo Beckham Jr. And I think based on contract situation, they might end up moving on from Vernon as well. It's mm -hmm. fair to call that a win for the Giants, considering how well Jabril Peppers is playing, considering they have a first round pick who's still playing on his rookie contract and one of the Giants better defensive players in Dexter Lawrence. So it's really interesting that that trade when it was first evaluated, and I'm not saying the Browns made a wrong move. I think at the time they made a really good gamble to try to get a wide receiver buying low on him because he had some issues, you know, that had nothing to do with the football field. And ultimately that it's, there's been a little bad luck there with the injury situation, but as it falls, if they do move on from Beckham this off season, my guess is they won't be returning, you know, a first round pick, a, a, a former, a former first round pick like peppers or something like that. And a third round pick. That That's certainly true. And it, 
the tough part too with evaluating the OBJ trade with the Browns is yeah, is exactly what you pointed out with the injuries. Is last year he was clearly hurt and forget the fact that the Browns had Freddie Kitchens as their coach and designing their offense. And so the tough part is we really didn't get to see him for a full season this year with Kevin Stefanski, because I am, I've just been uh, had nothing but the utmost praise for Stefanski this year. And I thought he got really creative with how to use Odell in that Cowboys game. You saw what he could be and some other situations. I thought they did a great job of using him in maybe not the kind of way where he'd be targeted as much as he was in his Giants day where, uh, you know, they're just going to go to him over and over again, and he's going to get 12 targets and 150 yards and all that, but being more selective in in taking chances with him, but still using that explosive skill set, And we're just, we're not going to see that given, given his ACL injury. And yeah, I have to agree with you on the Giants side of thing, you know, number one, you know, the, the people out there, listening know this especially you know the people that listen to your podcast and i like to think the rebuild listeners are very educated fans as well that zeitler was a great offensive lineman and and offensive linemen are often overlooked in these trades and now the browns were able to replace him but he was a great piece that they gave up and it felt like that wasn't talked about enough and Frankly, I thought Real Peppers struggled a lot with the Browns, and he has just been awesome for you guys. So that's the part that stings a little bit for me. And now part of that was he – I don't think he schematically was used in the right way with Greg Williams at all when he was the Browns' defensive coordinator. That was basically a lost season for Peppers almost the way he was used then. But I mean, this year it sounds like the Giants fans are have nothing but praise for the way he's performed. He's playing unreal, and he just looks like he's playing at a different speed too, Henry. I said it on the last podcast. It was like when you see someone just flying across the screen, you automatically assume it's number 21 on defense. Yeah, that's – I it, I just really – when I when, he, when the Browns gave him up, I was like, ah, all right. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to miss – I you know, I kind of thought, you know, hey, that – that's something we can replace pretty easily. And it turns out, in fact, the Browns could not replace that easily at all. They, they traded for Ronnie Harrison this year and he's just now injured and on IR and with Grant Delpit's injury, you know, they spent a draft pick there and Sandejo has probably been the worst player on this defense. They have, uh, they have not replaced Chubrell Peppers. Let me tell you uh, at all on the Brown side of things. So that one definitely stings a little bit from Browns fans, but before we go guys, I want to hear your predictions on the game. How are you feeling? You know, Browns, Giants, how, how are you feeling about your team in this pivotal game for the NFC East and AFC North? I don't feel great. If I'm going to be real, I'm going to say 24 to 10, I think is, uh, I think that's probably the score that I will go with for this game. I, I don't feel necessarily all that great about what the Giants offense put on tape last week and whether it's Colt McCoy or a hobble Daniel Jones, I, I don't have a lot of faith. If it was a healthy Daniel Jones, I do feel like I would be, uh, I'd be more optimistic because of what he could do with his legs, but I'm going to go with 24 to 10. Yeah, I'll take this one and I'm going to go 27 Brown six for the giants. I think that, Oh wow. yeah, I mean, again, it, it'll change if Daniel Jones plays, I could knock on maybe nine, 10 or 13 for the giants. If Jones plays, I think McCoy will ultimately play this game. I could be wrong on that, but that's just the feeling I get right now. And I don't think he'll be able to score more than six points for the giants in this game. I mean, yes, he was able to do it against the Seahawks. They had a few more points than that, but that was a lot of circumstance. There were a lot of turnovers that led to points. And there was a 60 yard run that I feel like the Browns can do a good job of not letting happen just because they're a better defense a more disciplined defense than the Seahawks. The good news for giants fans who hear this though, is that I felt this exact way going into the Seattle game. I didn't think the giants had any chance whatsoever in that game. And they won that game. So the hope maybe is it can be a similar game. Now, I think part of that was circumstance. I do believe in some ways Seattle did somewhat overlook the Giants because Colt McCoy was playing. And unfortunately for the Giants, the Browns aren't don't have an opportunity right now to overlook the Giants after having lost to the Ravens. I would have felt better about this game if the Browns had actually defeated the Ravens <laughs> in that game to be completely honest with you. So ultimately I'm very low on it and it, and it is what it is. I mean, we had our nice fun this season. We had our four run stretch. We had the best win this team has had in three years and it's baby steps for this Giants franchise right now. And fans understand that there will be better times eventually. It is definitely going to be a mental test for the Browns. I will agree with you on that front, Dan, just uh, an emotional high two weeks ago. And then with this devastating loss on Monday night, coming into a short week against like we just talked about a Giants defense that's not going to make things so easy on the Browns offense. I don't think you know points are just going to come 
very easily to Baker Mayfield in, in, in this Browns offense in, in this game. So this is a huge game for them. They can't afford to come in, you know, and, and mess around at all because this Giants, they are a formidable team. I agree with you guys that the Browns are going to win. I, I had 24-20 as the score in my head, so a little bit similar. Uh, I think you guys are a little bit lower on your offense against our defense, uh, which is interesting uh, given the performance that the Browns defense put up on Monday night against the Ravens. Uh, so that that's where I think you guys potentially will have a little bit more success. Uh, but Listen, Henry, if you give us Lamar Jackson for this game, I can change my opinion. <laughs> I actually yeah. saw somebody float tonight some highlights from Jabril Peppers, who was an offensive player as well in high school. And it got me thinking, like, if you're Jason Garrett, do you consider put, installing a pa- – <laughs> it, it sounds like a joke, but it's not to me. Do you consider installing a Wildcat package for this game to generate some offense and to keep the defense off the field and a little more rested? I personally would. I would consider a wild pack cat package i'm not saying to use it all game but i would consider a series or two with peppers in there and maybe tate in there who's shown that he can throw the football a little bit as well i think if you just trot that mccoy offense out there and expect to win a football game and do nothing different and just run your same offense that you've run all year i i don't think you're asking for you're 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 really asking for in my mind a recipe for disaster i honestly agree with that too i think that's I, i do think that's a good take because you need to spice this up a little bit to, to provide a spark to this offense. Cause you cannot, like you just said, do what you just did last week and expect to command any type of respect or win this even pathetic division. That is. <laughs> yeah. That's not the craziest thing you guys have ever said. I can tell you I a little insider nugget here back when I was working for WKYC in Cleveland, it's TV station in Cleveland. I covered Jabril Peppers rookie training camp for the Browns. He most certainly had an offensive package there. And it actually, it blew up as this whole thing because the media could see this portion of practice where Jabril Peppers had some wildcat plays, at least that they were running them in the media portion. Who knows how much they actually, they they never used it. Who knows if they ever intended to use it, but it became a story because he also had a couple offensive snaps at Michigan. And so people were like, yeah. Should we, should we test him out there? Never actually happened. Never actually happened, but not the word, not, uh, not impossible. I'll say that. Yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would like to see it. I really would. <laughs> I just wonder if, uh, like if they want, when, when the defense comes off the field, they always make a bunch of different kinds of adjustments. They go over things with Patrick Graham. I don't know if they want Jabril Peppers to not be there for those types of adjustments. So that's one thing that may throw cold water on that, but meh, let's hope we get creative. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I can, I can tell the, the Blue Wire people that will be reviewing this episode at some point later on are telling me that, uh, hey, when you get to the Jabril Peppers playing offense si- uh, time in the podcast, it's probably time to wrap it up. So <laughs> so maybe 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 we'll do that uh, and appease the people upstairs uh, on that side of things. But Dan, Nick, thank you guys so much for coming on. This is a great preview. You guys do fantastic work for the Big Blue Banter at Blue Wire and also everywhere else. Just before we go, Tell the people where they can follow you guys to uh, to find more of your stuff. Yeah, you can follow me at Dan Schneier NFL on Twitter, D-A-N-S-C-H-N-E-I-E-R NFL on Twitter. I write sometimes for CBS Sports, but not as much recently. I've had other duties there that take precedence. And Nick, why don't you tell them where they can find your work? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. It's just at Nick Filato. I didn't put the NFL there quite yet. It's just N-I-C-K-F-A-L-A-T-O. I write for Big Blue View, SB Nation, and I do some work for Sports Illustrated as well. He's not official enough yet to have the NFL in his name. No, I'm not official. <laughs> I don't got that blue check mark, man, you know? Me either. Me either. Still working on that. Still working on that. But uh, yeah, I, again, guys, appreciate you coming on. Dan and Nick do just awesome all 22 type stuff that is uh, above my pay grade here on, on the Browns podcast and on the rebuild. We are, we are fans. We are fans at heart. And so guys, I end every podcast this way as a fan podcast, and I'm going to end it in the same way here. Go Browns. All right. All right. All right. Nice. Good stuff, Henry. That was great. Henry, I strongly considered timing that up using anticipatory type of skills and when you said go, I was going to say Giants. Talk over you, but I was like, you know what? Just don't do it. But that would have been that would have been awesome. That's how we end our podcast a lot of the time too. Yeah, uh, yeah, exact absolutely. Thing. We do that exact thing. I I heard I when I was jumping onto this feed. So basically, Jordan Serum, uh, who's a, a Browns guy who used to work at ESPN Cleveland, is on this feed with me. But 
he, I have heard him end his, his return podcast with that. He's like, you know, I'm, I don't work for ESPN Cleveland anymore. I'm, I'm out in California. I can just be myself, be a fan, go Browns. And I was like, all right, that's how we got to end it from now on. And so that's how I do it. Uh, all right. But, all right. All right. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I really appreciate you guys coming on, as I said, and, and we went, a lo- we went up for a long time there, but you guys just great stuff on the schematics of the giants and uh, should be a really fascinating matchup. All right, man. No doubt. Thanks, Henry. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. And uh, I'll be in contact over Twitter or wherever is easiest about posting it and stuff. Just that way, you know, I don't want to mess with your uh, your OCU and your interview. That's sweet. Yeah, perfect. Thanks a lot, Henry. I appreciate that. All right, guys. Have a good night. All right, you too. Have a good Take one. Take care, man. Peace. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.